Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Emmanuel, God with us. We stand in awe of him, do we not, brothers, sisters, church? Merry Christmas, a reminder of Emmanuel that God is with us, that his presence is not distance, but is with us, it's next to us. Beyond that, he is in us, and he goes wherever we go. Wherever we are, he is there. It's not that that's not true, it's that we often do not feel that because the enemy wants to strip us of that because he knows the faith in that is what's important and what will change you and give you the peace that we talk about today is the reality that God is with you. He's with us. Despite what's going on, we have the creator, sustainer, and preeminent one's presence with us always. Hebrews tells us that we can go boldly to his throne which is his presence we can enter boldly without fear that he will reject us or kill us on the spot into the holy of holies into his presence to seek the help that we desperately need in our time of need and I would venture to say that we all would say every single day whether awake or asleep is a time of need And so we, even in this moment of praise and worship, are going to bend the knee on Christmas Eve, go to the Holy of Holies boldly to God and pray and ask him to help us here even now in our time of need. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, your presence is terrifying as we're going to see today. And too often we do not feel the fear that is appropriate when being in your presence. As those who fell on their face in utter terror standing before you and you lifted their heads, you lifted their eyes to see you. Father, we come before you now, each and every one of us, uh, with plenty of sin, plenty of wrongdoing, plenty of things applied to our account that are deserving of death that are deserving to have our hearts stop immediately as we step a millimeter into the holy of holies into your presence yet you do not slay us you slayed your son you killed him so that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life so I'll pray now as we talk about your peace that you would open our hearts and minds to understand it, to know it, but Father, to have it. And that if there's someone here this morning that does not have the peace that Jesus brought into the world and has left here in the world, you would open their hearts and minds to see it, to reach out and take it. It's free. And Father, you would calm our hearts as you did the storm. And you'd help us to see who Jesus is savior of the world god everlasting father prince of peace wonderful counselor savior we say thank you for what you do and what you've done and what you will do we pray it all in the wonderful name of your son jesus amen you may be seated and merry christmas it is christmas eve it is a wonderful time i feel just the joy from brothers and sisters now as we are anticipating waking up 
tomorrow morning to enjoy time. Um, but this time, as Corey alluded to earlier, can be a tough time for us as well because we're thinking about those who are not with us that these times tend to make us think of, the people whom we love who have passed on who are not able to celebrate this time with us, and it's a bittersweet experience. And all of us knows what that's like, but God is with us. And today we're going to continue to talk about peace, Christmas peace. Uh, last week we went to the Old Testament, this week we're going to go to the New Testament. So if you want to go ahead and start, start uh, turning in your Bibles to Mark 4, that's where we're going to be. Mark chapter 4. Christmas peace. Well, before we jump into it and we talk about it, there, we have to define what it actually is. What do we mean when we use this word peace, when we're talking about Christmas peace. When we're talking about the peace that Jesus being born in the form of a baby, when we go back and we reflect on him coming into the world, we think of the nativity, we think of a baby being born and being so excited about a person being born into the world. One of the things that we're excited about is this peace we talk about that he brought, that he has brought into the world. So what is Christmas peace? We should define that. Maybe someone's here like, I'll tell you what Christmas peace is. I got my Christmas peace right here. It's a cold 1911 45 caliber peacemaker, peace bringer, even peace disturber if need be to make peace. Uh, that's P-I-E-C-E, not P-A-E-A-C-E. So we're going to put that peace right back in the holster and we're going to talk about Christmas peace. I didn't say what is your Christmas peace. I said Christmas peace. Many of us think Christmas peace, and we also think wrongly as well. May not be thinking about a handgun, but we could be thinking about this rudimentary idea of peace, the, the world's idea of peace, the, the peace that is surface level, the type of peace that ends wars, the type of peace that makes everything all right, both in the world and in my life. When my circumstances are right, my money's right, my job's right, what everybody thinks of me is right, everything that I want in the moment I have, my circumstances are as they should be. Maybe many of us are thinking that type of peace. And if you're sitting here this morning hoping that I will give you a message that gives you that type of peace, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Christmas peace is what we need, but we need to understand what it is we're talking about. Christmas peace. Let me show you a verse. This Jesus who was born in the world as a baby, as he grew up, he began to teach us what this type of peace is we sing about. In John 14, before he died on the cross, the night before he died, he's talking to his disciples. He says this in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you. It's right here on the screen. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's hold right here on this verse. Reflect on the words of Jesus, the Christmas miracle, born of a virgin, coming into the world. And before he leaves, he says, I have brought peace and I'm leaving it with you. But he, he does define and he separates his peace from the world's peace. He says, I give you my peace. I do not give it to you as the world would give. So then we got to kind of 
make some assumptions. We've got to imply. We've got to think through, well, how in the world would the world give peace? Well, it would be any effort of our own strength to try to gain peace. It would be the type of peace that is totally 100% based on circumstances and getting what we want in order to, to feel something that's on the outside. Something on the outside that helps me feel better on the inside. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you a different type of peace. And, and he kind of further shows the power of this type of peace because he says this right after it. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And, and if you go back and read John 14, you'll be like, how in the world could my hearts not be troubled? You're literally just told us you're about to leave us. How is this a good thing? You have left us, Jesus. Well, if you continue to read, Jesus says, I'm leaving you and this is to your advantage because when I go away, I'm gonna send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And it will no longer be Jesus, one man on earth beside you at a certain point in history, at a certain point on the world who is limited as a human is, I'm going to come in the form, I am going to send the Holy Spirit, God himself who is able to transcend time and space and location and coordinates and proximity and he will not just be beside you, he will be in you. And I'm telling you this, me in you is greater than me beside you. And me in you is going to give you the peace that I keep talking about. John 14, Jesus tells us about this piece. If you go to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter three, Paul will say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Things like that seem extremely important that on the surface sound good and we agree that's what I need and I should let it. But what in the world does that mean? It's almost as if God's peace is trying to affect your life, but we resist it. Let it. And then what must it do in your heart, which your heart is your inner person, your inner thoughts, where the, where the uh, console of your mainframe is, your mind, your soul. Let the peace of Christ rule, implying we don't let his peace rule, do we? Our worldly efforts for peace normally rule, and God is constantly trying to invade and remind us, I want to give you my peace. Let me give it to you. So let's define it. I'm going to give us a sentence today to find the type of peace we're talking about before we talk about it a little bit more. Christmas peace can be defined as this, biblically. It's a supernatural peace that carries hearts and minds through every circumstance of life while producing the fruit of Christ's likeness and greater dependence on God. So now I ask you, is this the type of peace that you want? When you hear about peace and it being given to you and you come with an expectation of what you would receive, is it this? Or is it worldly peace that would be a a promise that would make you feel good in the moment as if all of your problems in life are going to disappear for you following Jesus You're going to get money, health, wealth, and prosperity if you just follow Jesus. If that's what you're hoping to get when you come to Jesus, let me remind you of some words that Jesus said. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to bring peace. What? You just said you're leaving peace with us, but he also taught there's a wrong type of peace you should be expecting. Don't think that I've come to bring peace, Jesus says, but he said what? A sword. 
What does the sword represent? Represents war. Well, the sword is the very opposite of peace. And Jesus, you're saying you're bringing peace. No, he's, he's invading a certain area of our life. And he's trying to dispel the wrong thoughts of what peace are. The type of peace you and I think about where all of our relationships get right. Jesus says, if you're following me, it's going to bring a disturbance into your life. You're going to be divided with family even. The closest people in your life are going to hate you sometimes because you follow me. Following me is going to bring storms into your life. Celebrating Christmas in the truest sense where you're genuinely excited about Jesus being born into the world as a babe and growing up and excited about the gifts that he brings. One of the gifts is his peace. But it's not the type of peace necessarily that we would paint with our own hand on a picture and a canvas. A lot of times the peace that Jesus gives involves disturbances and storms and relationships. And actually it causes more problems sometimes. Great sales pitch for the peace of Christ, Jasper. Well, I'm not trying to pitch it. I'm trying to speak to what the scripture talks about. To the type of things that are true. That actually bring hope and change and love and salvation into the life of a world lost in darkness that desperately needs the light. The peace that God brings, it is a supernatural peace that will do something to your inner person despite the circumstances. Do we see this? So if, if I could offer you two things, it's almost as if God's holding out, what do you want? If you, if you had the choice and you could have either one, what would you take? Here in, the, in this hand is a peace that is dependent on circumstances. It's a peace that you could strive after that will get every single scenario in your life to line up the way that you want it. Or I could say, hey, here's a peace that God offers and it will not guarantee your circumstances changing. Actually, there's promises that life will get hard. and so It actually guarantees there's much tribulation in life. But it's a peace that will give you a heart that can be carried through every circumstance and have a supernatural peace during them. Would you willingly walk up and grab this one? Or would you say, no, if I had my choice, this is the one I'm taking. I'm going to live for the here and now. Well, this is grasping after the wind. You actually can't get this. And that's the irony, isn't it? We spend our whole life trying to get this peace, but never will we ever taste that peace in a fallen world. But this peace is 100% obtainable through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And this is what he offers to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, everyone who would follow him. He's trying to give you something that will change you from the inside out, independent of circumstances. So the question we ask this morning, this Christmas Eve is this, do I have, do you have this Christmas peace? We talk about it. Do you have it? Well, I would say this, and this is what we're going to see today. That depends. It depends on a few things. Well, let's look at some Christmas lyrics. It depends on what you believe about this famous lyric, peace on earth, goodwill to men. We sing it. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that in your heart? Do you believe that there is a peace on earth that Jesus has got, has, has left? And do you believe that God has good will towards men? 
What do you believe about that statement? Well, how about this? How about this uh, Christmas song? What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? I got kind of a cold so I can go a little bit deeper. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Josh. What's your answer to this question? Do I have this Christmas piece? Well, it depends on what you believe about some of these songs that we sing. It, it, it really depends on what, how you would answer that question. What child is this? That, 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 that sleeping on Mary's lap, born in a manger, that, that from afar these magi would come and worship him and offer him gifts. Who do you say that this child is? And so we turn our attention to the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark who is going to give us clarity to these questions. He's he's going to help give us further clarity about this peace we talk about. He's going to take us to a point in Jesus' life uh, as this baby has gotten older, towards the end of his life in his 30s. And he's going to teach us something about his peace in Mark chapter 4. Actually, if you read the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, you'll find out very quickly that Mark is interested in asking the, answering the question, what child is this? Mark chapter four, we're gonna park here and we're gonna have a story time. We're gonna learn more about Christmas peace during a time of Jesus and his disciples being on a boat. Mark chapter four, drop down to verse 35 and let's spend some time here and hear a wonderful, remarkable, true story. Verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Christmas peace learned on a boat 2,000 years ago in the middle of a storm. We're gonna learn, learn something about the peace that Jesus brings. Verse 35, let's talk about this, let's talk about this story. It says, on that day, what day? When evening had come, at the end of a long day, at the end of hundreds, even thousands of people following Jesus. Jesus is in a situation where he is teaching people. And there are so many people that he is pushed up against this, the shoreline to the point where he has to get in a boat and float out a little bit so everyone can gather around and his voice can project off the water and everyone can hear him. So you sit the situation of on an evening time, Jesus in a boat for a reason because there are so many people and he has been teaching constantly. Barely any sleep, wake up, start teaching from morning to evening. This is very 
important for us to know this because we have to like take our mind back to that day and go beyond, go further into the words of what the gospel is telling us to see that this is, this is real life situations happening and there's reasons for why things are happening the way that they are. One of the reasons that it's evening is because he's been teaching all day. And then Jesus gives this command to his disciples after this long time of teaching to great crowds of people. He says, let us go to the other side. So there's this plan that Jesus gives him and his disciples say, hey, here's the journey we're on. Part of this journey now is going to be the next step of us going to the other side of the sea, Sea of Galilee, not a sea at all, fresh water. And leaving the crowd, so there you go, crowd, they took him, who took him? The disciples took who? Jesus. They took him with them in what? The boat. What boat? The one that he already was in, just as he was. So we get this picture of Jesus teaching the crowds. He's been talking to them with about many parables. They've been learning. And now he is in a boat and immediately, without getting off the boat, as soon as he's done teaching, he tells the disciples, let's go. And they immediately, as they are in this boat, begin to move across this sea to the other side. Notice a detail, and other boats were with him. You ever thought about the story, just thinking about Jesus and the disciples by themselves? No, you have Jesus and the disciples with the boat, but you have other boats still following them where they're going, great crowds of people following him in other boats, right there along with them. And then verse 37, and a great windstorm arose. I love the book of Mark. Mark is so succinct clear to the point. A lot of times uh, I, in my early life when I was wanting to read the word, I would want to go to the book of Mark out of all the gospels because it was short. And you're like, man, Mark just isn't as good as Matthew, Mark. I mean, Matthew, Luke, and John. They go into all these details. Mark, something's wrong with Mark. He just, he must be lazy and just wants to get straight to the point. Exactly. Not lazy, but wants to get to the point. And one of the points that Mark really wants to make extremely abundantly clear without, without getting it distracted by little details is the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Right at the beginning of chapter one, Jesus, Mark says, this is why I'm writing to you, he is the Son of God. And then he immediately goes into his baptism and talks about the voice from heaven saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. No ifs and buts are about it. I'm talking about who this Jesus is and immediately starts going into these prominent uh, miracles that show the power and the person of Jesus. But when we come to chapter four here, things are gonna get a little different. The disciples up to this point have seen him do wonderful, miraculous things. Now they're gonna get to see who he really is beyond what they've already seen. It says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Well, if you go and study this sea that they're on, this freshwater lake, you'll find out that it was not uncommon for these great windstorms to arise. And actually, this was extremely common. And you're like, why in the world would these people spend any time on this lake that has so many storms popping up all the time? And not just any type of storm, hurricane-like storms that can come out of nowhere. Why would you even want to go to the other side? Well, you study a little more and you find out that this 
particular body of water was extremely valuable to the people. It was their main source of fresh water and their main source of fish, food. So, you know, some things are worth risking. And so they're going to the other side and a great windstorm arises. Well, what does Mark mean by a great windstorm? It's, it's not just... It, it's, you need to go to the fullest extent of a storm on water and then there you go. You're talking hurricane-like. You're talking extreme storm to the point that this is going to kill you. It is extremely terrifying and it is extremely uh, the absence of what we would think would be peaceful. A great windstorm arises. And how bad is this? That without, uh, without warning, the waves are so bad that it's already filling this boat, a boat that's about 27 feet long probably about uh, eight feet wide, probably about six feet high at its furthest parts where the stern and things are. So not a small boat, but also not huge according to our standards, but it would have been big back then. This would have been a big boat. So you get the picture? Going across the lake. It's a long day. It's been a long few days. Great windstorm arises. And now you're in a perilous situation. Death is on the doorstep. You are facing uh, nature at its finest. And for us as humans, it will win against us. How would you be feeling inside and how would you be reacting? Well, it says this, the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. filling. Verse 38, but he, who? Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, the most interesting thing about the story, I think when we just read it and we see Mark's detail is the fact that Jesus is asleep. And the first thought is how in the world could he be asleep on a cushion? We have this book that I read to my daughters called The Storm That Stopped. And it's a wonderful retelling of the story. In the in the story, though, one of the pictures shows that when the disciples are freaking out and the storm is there, it shows the picture of Jesus sleeping on a cushion and he has one eye open, right? Like this, like he's watching to see what they'll do. It could have been this case. I don't think we should take it that way. I don't think we should take it as if Jesus was pretending to be asleep and seeing what the disciples were doing. The scripture tells us he was asleep. We should think he's asleep. But then if you go and you study and you think about what Jesus has actually gone through the last few days, you would find out that he is probably at a level of exhaustion where he's able to be asleep through a storm. He is so tired from the lack of uh, sleep that he has had, from the amount of adrenaline that has already been pumping through his body, his human body, that he emptied himself of, of, of his equality with God in order to be humbled to the point of a servant, serpent, oh, excuse me, servant, according to Philippians chapter two, that he would be experiencing exactly what you and I would be experiencing in the same situation. You can ask my wife, Sarah, after just preaching for 40 minutes, and coming down off the adrenaline that pumps through the body of standing in front of people, the nervousness throughout the week of preparing to be in front of people, of thinking what you're gonna say, the, the nerves that come along with that, and then to get done actually talking and publicly speaking, it's like I go home Sunday afterwards and I'm like, I can't think straight, I can't talk straight. It's exhausting. And Jesus has been teaching for hours, eight, all day. He's been up taught in the middle of the sun, uh, uh, no, uh, no water compared to the amount of water we get on a regular basis. No food compared to the amount of food we get on a regular basis. He's been doing this for days in the desert sun, up teaching, 
and, and, and interacting with people who want his attention constantly. I'll tell you this, me putting myself in his shoes, I'm like, I think that I could probably sleep through a storm as well. The scripture says he was asleep. Jesus is sleeping on a cushion in the middle of a, in the middle of a storm. I think we need to remember the humanity of Jesus. He did not come to be a superhuman. He came to actually live in the bodies you and I experienced. The book of Hebrews says that he had to be made like us in order to become a sympathetic and merciful high priest in the service of God. It was part of the plan for him to be emptied of any type of relying on divinity so he could experience what you and I experience. The humanity, 100% humanity of Jesus on display before these disciples in his exhaustion. And we're gonna see here in a little bit his 100% godness in a second as well. Jesus asleep on a cushion. So what did the disciples do? The disciples woke him and said to him, this is very interesting. This is when, this is when we, we ourselves, as we've already kind of put ourselves in their shoes, start to relate to the story. Teacher, Matthew and Luke say, Master, Lord, different responses. The idea you get is that every one of the disciples are screaming at him. Mark says, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What would that actually sound like in the middle of a storm? In the middle of a, a situation where you're facing certain death? Hey, uh, teacher, um, I happen to notice you're asleep. You probably don't care about us, do you? Is that, is that, is that, is that the type of mode? Is that what that's going to sound like? Je- Jesus is going to be uh, w- awoken violently by the hands of his disciples, and they will be as wide-eyed as possible, screaming in his face, Do you not care that we're perishing? Teacher, Master, Lord, what are you doing asleep? Where are you? Look at what's happening to us and you don't even care. Very interesting. Very interesting, their choice of words. Verse 39, it simply says this. And he awoke, rebuked the wind. Very interesting word, rebuke, because if you read through uh, after Mark, before Mark, especially right after this story, you're gonna see Jesus also rebuke someone else, a demon inside of a person. He's going to be using very similar language to quiet a demon inside of a person. But at this point, he's talking to the wind. But in a, in a way, in a similar way, he talked to a demon. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And then it goes on to say, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Let's work it backwards. The great calm and the ceasing of the wind would have been supernatural. It's this idea of immediate, immediate churning and immediate stillness, which is supernatural because that's not how a storm dies down. It doesn't die down instantly and become just like a crystal flat lake, right? Just raging, raging, immediate obedience from nature to what Jesus had just rebuked it with. Now the word in our Bible here is peace. But this word simply means this, quiet, hush. Similar to last week in Psalm 46, be still and know. Similar wordages, be quiet and know. 
Here, Jesus is saying to the nature, quiet, silence, hush, be still. And nature obeys. Now, notice this. Jesus then turns and he talks to his disciples and he said to them, why are you so afraid? And then he says this, have you still no faith? You have seen me this far. You've seen what I can do. You've seen who I am, but apparently not. You need to still see this. And he rebukes the wind. Then he rebukes them with a question and then another question. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Very interesting in verse 41. And it says this, and they were filled with great fear. If you look, the disciples were already afraid by the storm. It was already scary. You can see that they're frantic and they're already experiencing fear. But the language here from Mark, who was there, is trying to say, hey, listen, hey guys, we, we were afraid of the storm. And that was terrifying. But the moment he stood up and he rebuked the wind and the sea and it stopped, he used this language here. We were then filled with great fear, meaning that we were far more scared in that moment than we were when the storm was threatening our life. <laughs> it's interesting. Who then is this, they say, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who then is this? What child is this who laid to rest? Rhetorical question by Mark. Rhetorical question by the disciples. When he says, who then is this that is able to command the weather? What's the answer to that question, church? What's the answer? It's God. God is with you in the boat. God was with them in the boat. And that realization in that moment that they were in the presence of God who created all of this with the, with the breath of his mouth was more terrifying than the death that they were facing as a result of the storm. Now they're fearing properly. You go on and mark Mark will talk later about them being in a storm again on the sea. And this is when Jesus shows up and Peter walks on water. And Jesus calms the storm again. Does anyone know what their response was after that? They answered this question in the second storm they were in. Certainly this is the son of God. And it says they worshiped him. Very interesting. They go from who is this afraid Time goes on a little bit. They grow a little bit. They get to know Jesus a little bit. Storm comes. He calms it. This is the son of God and they worship him. Beautiful picture. So why talk about this? Why on Christmas Eve? Why why would we go here to talk about Christmas peace? What are you you trying to get at, Jasper? Why why are we even talking about, what's the question on the screen? Do I have Christmas peace And then I put this word, that depends. So let's look at this question, this next question. That depends. 
When the storms of life come, what do you believe about God? And then let me ask you this, what do you do? When the storms of life come, your thoughts go to what about God? Where did the disciples' thoughts go in here in Mark 4? God, I do not believe peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know, I sing it, but then I'm in the moment when life isn't going the way I want it to go. And I, I question you, God. What do I question? I question your goodwill towards me. Do you not care that we're perishing? So the question is, do I have Christmas peace? Well, that depends. When the storms of life come, do I trust God or do I test God? And the answer is simple. If you're constantly testing God, if every moment that God brings into your life to give you an opportunity to know if that Christmas peace is in you and it's always a test from you, it's always, I don't believe you love me, I don't believe you care about me, then you should not conclude in your own heart that you have this Christmas peace because your faith in who God is and his will towards you is lacking. But if the storms of life come, and they will, and you trust him, Right? There's a difference between waking Jesus up violently and saying, do you not care that we're perishing versus the person who's still feeling all the f- natural, appropriate, adrenaline-rushing fear to a horrible storm, runs into Jesus who's sleeping and clings to him and just holds on to him through the storm. That is a different response to the storm of life than the waking up violently and questioning his goodness towards you. I'd say the person who's clinging to Jesus has the peace. Well, you're like, well, look, they're still afraid. Yes, because the peace is not about the circumstance. The peace is about trusting God in every area of life. Let, let me show you some things. Didn't Jesus say, let us go to the other side? Didn't he say that's what the plan was? Doesn't the scripture say that, that God, all of your days are written in his book? Didn't he say that? That every single one of your days, he has already ordained for you. So if you're facing something that immediately feels like it will even kill you, it cannot touch you unless that's part of God's plan in order to bring you home. You will die one day, but that's according to the plan and the will and the purpose of God. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, yes, we're in the middle of a storm, and by all logic and reason, this storm should kill you. But when you're with me and I'm with you, And I'm ordering your steps. Even the things that would be rationally death for you cannot touch you. And I will keep you safe through those circumstances. And if the situation is to lead to your death, even that is in my plan. And this is what I'm going to do to bring you home. And I have to do that eventually. You may not know when, but I'm trying to give you these moments because I want you to be tested but I want your faith to come through and shine brilliantly. Christmas morning, we're thinking about Jesus being born. We're thinking about the peace that he brings into the world. He's gonna give you this peace if you're reaching for it. And he'll give you the storms and the moments of life to be tested to see if you really have it. We're about to close up, about to end but I want to take your minds to the book of Hebrews. You don't have to turn there. I just want you to listen. 
The book of Hebrews talks about those who were in a similar storm, but it was called the wilderness in the Old Testament. And the author of Hebrews reminds the people constantly, these people in the wilderness, God brought them out purposefully into the wilderness and he sustained them through all of the deserty, death-facing moments of life. And he brought everything they needed up to the right moment that they needed it. And the author of Hebrews says, says that God was provoked to anger with these people because they always went astray in their hearts. Every time a hard moment of life came in, they always questioned him and put him to the test. Did you bring us out here to die, God? Is that what you're trying to do with my life? Bring me out here to die? God said he was provoked with that generation and they did die, but their die was at the hands of his judgment and his wrath. And so Hebrews warns us, beware lest any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart fails to enter the rest of God, the peace, the shalom of God. So Christmas is not about just making us feel good. It's not about like, let me come in here on a Christmas morning and you just encourage my heart and make me feel better. If the promises of God are not enough to help you and encourage you and be exactly what you need. I have nothing else to offer to you. There's nothing else in life you can find that will give the supernatural peace you desperately need for the horrifyingly scary moments of life. You need to see that God is with you. When the bees are buzzing around you, you need a bear to come in and make you no longer afraid of the bees. And when the bear is scary, you need a tornado to come and make the bear not scary. And you guys ride off into the sunset running away from the tornado. And when the tornado's scary, you remember God controls it. You see him for who he really is. This baby born as a virgin is God himself. And he's with you. And he loves you. And he will protect you through everything that's scary. You do not need to be afraid. Yes, you'll feel the fight or flight and the adrenaline pumping through your body. But he wants a heart that will cling to him through it. Not test him constantly. And so we end remembering last week's verse from Psalm 46 on the screen. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christmas morning reminding us we wake up and your mercies are new, that your grace, your gifts are abundant. One day of the year where the world tends to pay attention and most of the world does not understand what's so marvelous about this. Most of the world is missing this peace, it seems. And you want your people, your disciples here today, even 2,000 years later, to learn as those disciples in the past learned and to become people who would trust, who would know your character, who would go through the storms in life and be an example for those who are still lost in darkness, who are still without peace, where the source of peace is. It's in your son, Jesus. And so if there's someone here this morning that does not have that peace, their sins are not forgiven. They're still an enemy to you. Would you convict their heart right now? Show them that, that they can be made a friend and brought into the family, not through the works of the flesh, but through believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. 
And if you would work in their heart to call upon you and reach out to you for help and salvation, you will grant it freely. That is the greatest Christmas gift is the free gift of eternal life. You would give that to that person this morning. Pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand up together.